This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and my name is Erin Jones. And it's a little bit late, but um, welcome 2019. This is my first show of the year, so I'm looking forward to bringing you the um, what's going on in the world of climate solutions. Uh, we've got a lot to get through today. Um, we're talking a bit about the Melbourne EV Expo, which is going to be happening in a couple of weekends on March the 16th. But I firstly want to bring you some information, um, the federal government has just brought out their climate solutions package today and we've actually got Professor Will Steffen from the Climate Council on the line to have a bit of a chat with us about what's going on. So Will, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Great. So if, um, if you can just let us know this has just all come out today, what are we looking at? Well, it's, it's something called the Emission Reduction Fund, ERF, and it very much appears to be a continuation of the uh, policy settings that the gov- government has had for the last five years or so. Uh, and, and that means that uh, that policy has actually already been proven to be a failure. Uh, it's uh, a policy in which um, companies or individuals or whatever bid in for emission reduction activities most of them tend to be um, in the in the land sector, in other words, planting forests or, or something like that. Uh, the big failing in, in it is that it doesn't address the elephant in the room, uh, which is fossil fuel emissions. So this policy has been running for about four or five years now, uh, and during that time emissions have, in fact, risen but haven't gone down. Uh, so this is, is nothing new. It's a blast from the past. Uh, and uh, I don't think it's going to have any more success than the policy had in the past. Yeah, and it, it seems like, um, from a cynical political view, a um, a bit of a reflection of some worry with some um, key independent or well, key seats going to independents, and, and that looking like possibly happening again. Yeah, look, one could guess that that this is a response to the fact that they are panicking a bit when they see polls that are showing more and more people out there are getting concerned about climate change. It is an issue. Um, it's an issue in which the um, opposition has come forward uh, with a quite comprehensive uh, climate package and so on for the future. And so I think they're scrambling to at least get something out there. But what they've put out today is, is a very poor excuse for an effective climate policy. It's proven to be ineffective in the past. There's really nothing new in it. 
and and so I think it appears to be a Band-Aid solution on on someone that's having a heart attack. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> very much too little, too late. Um, okay, well look, um, it's important that we kind of uh, talked about it because that's just something that's just literally been happening um, in these last few hours that this package has um, has come out so uh, really nothing of any substance No, as far as I can see uh, and I've read most of the reports and tried to get as much information as I could I don't think there's anything of substance I can't see anything in there uh, that would incentivize or drive uh, fossil fuel emissions down uh, and I think that really is the key part of any credible uh, climate change policy. It has to have in some instruments uh, that will lead to, to rapid and deep reductions in fossil fuel emissions. And there seems to be nothing at all in this policy that would do that. Mm. A little bit of a, a side angle and um, a question without notice. Uh, the Glencore statements that came out at the, at the end of last week, um, yes. again, there's been some commentary that um, whilst this does mark a significant um, statement, it's also there's, a, there's an element of self-serving in there. Well, I think as far as I can see from the Glencore statement, that was in response to pressure from the shareholders. Mm. Uh, I think it was something that the company wasn't planning to do without that. Uh, so in that regard, it's showing that shareholder pressure can have an impact. Now, of course, we need to do more than simply cap emissions. Emissions would be capped at a fairly high level. Uh, we need to get emissions down. So mm. uh, one could take the negative approach and say, well, this is a, just a bit of window dressing and so on. The positive approach would be that the first step in getting this under control is to stop increasing your emissions uh, and ho- hopefully then that further pressure on uh, Glencore would uh, would trigger a, a phase out of, of uh, the coal operations in the future. So that's uh, that would be the next step, and let's hope that uh, that will be forthcoming. Yeah, great. Look, I appreciate um, your time on short notice, Will, and uh, we'll keep on pushing for positive climate solutions and real action. Thanks, Erin. Pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye. So it was great to get Professor Will Steffen from the Climate Council on on such short notice. This um, climate solutions package has just literally come out, um, all the briefings um, today in the last few hours. So um, as, as he mentioned, you know, this is just really an extension of a policy which hasn't achieved a lot um, so the proposition of it achieving a whole lot in the future is pretty limited. But there's a lot of things that we are going to get talking about today which are making inroads. And one of the first of those, as I mentioned at the start, is that we've got the EV Expo happening in Melbourne on March the 16th, which is not the Saturday but the following Saturday. Uh, it was an event that was really well attended and... Um, We've got one of the organisers on the line, so let's have a chat with him now. Well, listeners, I'm really pleased to have on the line Doug Rolfe. Now, Doug is the branch coordinator for Renew, who are the organisers of the Electric Vehicle Expo, which is happening in Melbourne on Saturday, the 16th of March. So, welcome, Doug. G'day. How are you, Erin? Yeah, really good. Um, look, I got along to the event last year and it was really well attended and there were so many exhibitors and, and big long queues to um, do some of the test drives and test rides. So can you maybe um, just give our listeners a little bit of a snapshot of what to look forward to in this year's event? 
Sure. Um, so, I mean, the event this year is at the same location. So it's Melbourne International Carving Track, uh, which is off Todd Road in Port Melbourne. Uh, we found that it was a fantastic venue last year. It's got a lot of track space. It's not being used as a racetrack, obviously. We, we're using it as just a, a simple place where people can experience electric vehicles uh, in a safe, closed environment, uh, and also electric bikes and scooters and uh, a variety of, of vehicles there. Um, so, and that's the main focus. The main focus of the expo is to give people a real-world encounter with an electric vehicle. Most, a lot of people might have heard of them but not actually physically seen one or been in one or gotten a chance to drive one. So that, that's the main goal, and that's, again, will be the whole focus of, of this year. Right. But let's just maybe take a step back and, and um, give our, our listeners a history of the event and, and how it's come to be. Sure. Okay, so um, Renew, um, which is formerly... Uh, the Alternative Technology Association. It's a, it's a member, we're a member-based not-for-profit, and so our members tend to get together and form branches. And in uh, Melbourne, we have the Melbourne Electric Vehicle Branch, who were really, again, focused on getting people a, a real-world experience of electric vehicles, understanding what they are and what they can do and what they feel like to drive. So they, in 2013, they started up uh, the EV Expo, uh, which was initially based out of Swinburne Uni in Hawthorne. And, uh, and that, you know, that survived for probably four years, you know, through until uh, 2016. And we realised that we we're just beginning to outgrow the space. Swinburne support was fantastic. And it really enabled us to develop the event and get quite a clear idea of where we wanted to go, which was basically more test drives. <laughs> and it's a bit hard to do that in a university campus. So, uh, and then in 2018, last year, we moved to Port Melbourne site, which has, again, worked really well and giving us a lot more space for static exhibits as well as the test ride stuff. Yeah, because you've got quite a comprehensive program. You've got, um, obviously, exhibitors there, some with their own private um, converted EVs, Mm -hmm. and you also had some industry participants and then also a whole program of... of, EV um, talks and from yeah. from different perspectives. So maybe just highlight some of those things to look sure. forward to this year. Well, let's start with, um, I mean, I've said the test rides is the main thing. So uh, there'll be scooters and electric bikes and cars. There's even going to be uh, electric trucks there um, from SEA Automotive. They were there last year. Uh, yeah, and that's fantastic. Are, some of our listeners oh, yeah. may recall we've um, done an interview with them and, and uh, it's pretty interesting what they're doing and very impressive those yeah. fleet customers i think are well i mean it makes sense for everyone evs but for those fleet customers there's going to be a big move in that whole um freight world definitely and actually on the friday there is an industry event which people can find out details on the website uh, which is specifically fo- focusing on commercial customers and fleets um, so and a range of specialty speakers for that. Uh, but for the general public on the Saturday, um, apart from test rides, there's an exhibition area where we have uh, a range of um, bike dealers and manufacturers and general exhibitors, um, including people who do battery recycling, BZE are going to be there, <laughs> and other not-for-profits. Um, and uh, it's, that's really just like a, a show space for you know, electric vehicle and related technology. Um, then there's the show and shine space, which is where people can bring along any electric vehicle. Uh, they just register through the, web, the website. So we have. Um, and is that still home. open if, if someone listens to the, um, you know, listens to us today? Is that something that they could still? Yeah. Participate in? Okay, great. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're very keen to see uh, what vehicles are out there because, we, we, I mean, we realise in Australia there's been a very limited range of electric vehicles available and, mm. and prior to 2010 there really wasn't anything you could you could get. Um, but 
all the way through that time, there have been converted vehicles. So people have taken an electric, uh, taken a petrol powered or diesel powered vehicle, pulled out all of the internal combustion engine components and converted to electric drive. And it's actually a fascinating sighting. That's what really gets me going. And some of those vehicles will be there from, from, you know, BMWs through to, you know, we've had, uh, you know, Holden Rodeo utes and all sorts of things can be converted and electric bikes that have been um, converted with kits as well. Mm. Um, it's sort of the so ultimate recycling, isn't it? It really is because there's a lot of embodied energy in the vehicle itself. Mm. And, uh, you know, you might have a car that's been a favourite car. You know, I know somebody who's got a, a nice um, VW that they, they really like, um, you know, beautiful blue Beetle. And they said, well, you know, it's a petrol vehicle. I don't like petrol vehicles, but I would love to make this electric. And they go through the process of doing that. And quite often you can end up with a vehicle that, um, at the end of it, is your choice of vehicle on electric drive for much less than what you would pay for a, a, a new um, commercial vehicle, obviously. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily perform or do exactly what that vehicle does, but it's, it's a, a definite stream of the electric vehicle space in Australia. Um, and one that we're, we're very happy to, um, to showcase. And there's also um, private owners can be, bring their vehicles, so there'll be a lot of Tesla vehicles and, and other, um, you know, Mitsubishi, um, the um, Outlander hybrids and that sort of stuff that people have got and they like and they bring in. So you get a chance to talk to the owners. You don't just get to steal from the, <laughs> the mm. commercial people. You also get to talk to real owners who've um, been on the road for, with some of these vehicles for years now. They can, they can give you, again, that, that real-world side of experience. Yeah. Um, there's going to be food and drink vans and things like that as around as well. But um, the other thing I thought we'd be talking about is the talks. So during the day, there'll be a series of um, specialty speakers, um, and you know the details are on the website. Two that are probably really worth highlighting. Um, uh, one is a chap called Wee Wacker, um, who's been driving an EV from Europe to Australia. Um, it's an amazing a story. Uh, he was actually on our um, sister show on Friday morning on the oh, BZD anyway. Science and Solutions show. Yeah. And we may even try to get him on next week's show on, on the Monday. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I found so interesting is the fact that he, he set off with no funding, you know, and, and he, his, his, his route has been determined by where people have pledged to, right. you know, Put them up, give them, give them, you yep. know, some sustenance for both himself and the vehicles and some yep. uh, electricity. So it's a, it's a fascinating um, journey on so many levels and sort of a leap of faith. But I mean, here he is. He's come all the way from the Netherlands and he's in Melbourne. That's right, and I think it's going to be fascinating to hear. Mm. Um, but, and again, also that real world. You know, what is it like? to drive an electric vehicle. Okay, well, what's it like to drive it through, you know, 30-plus countries from, mm. from Europe through to Australia and all of the different terrains that he's been through, even in Australia itself? So, so he's one of our, our key speakers. And also um, Eva Hakanson. So she is, I don't know if you've heard of Eva, um, it's... Is this the woman that's got the motorbike? The, the motorbike, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you've either heard of Eva or you haven't. Yeah. If you haven't, you need to. So Eva is a world record holder for being the fastest... Uh, rider of the fastest electric motorbike in the world. So her world record is about 400 kilometres an hour. I think she's had the vehicle up to about 4.30 or so. And she's actually going to be coming from the um, South Australian uh, speed trial where she's going to be re-attempting the world record okay. uh, over there in the same vehicle. So her vehicle is called the Kilojoule. Um, again, an amazing vehicle. She is the, the builder and the rider. So she's a mechanical engineer, um, currently works. She's at Auckland University, isn't she? Or she That's was? That's right. Yeah, yeah, no, she is. She mm -hmm. is. 
and she's at the moment doing a lot of shuttling backwards and forwards of, uh, you know, climate offset flights to, <laughs> to Australia and back again for a variety of things, and and uh, doing all the logistics of getting her um, her vehicle from from New Zealand to the South Australia to race in the outback on the Salt Lake, oh, which again is she'll be able to give you all the the, uh, the ins and outs of what it's like to do that. I met her here last year and she's a fascinating lady, a, a really highly qualified mechanical engineer and um, brilliant at what she does in terms of developing these um, really cutting-edge, high-speed, high-performance, um, world-record-breaking vehicles. And mm-hmm. she's also got this new project on the go of a new vehicle called Green Envy, which is intending to become the, the fastest full-stop um, motorbike in the world. Yeah, so, right. You know, petrol, electric, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think that means that's the top around 600 kilometres an hour. So I think anyone who's willing to oh. buy, you know, travel at 600 kilometres an hour in a ground vehicle is a pretty interesting. So and she's a qualified pilot and, and so on and so on. That's fascinating. <laughs> uh, well, she's actually also quite, quite sensible and, and modest, uh, person to talk to. And, uh, again, I think she's going to be fascinating to hear from. And we've got a range of other speakers as well who, who are experts in their fields um, in terms of electric vehicles and fleets and self-driving vehicles and so on. So that's pretty much the, the broader, the broad brush of what's going to be on there. Look, it's such an interesting space, and it, it is moving so quickly. Um, and you know, one of the issues, and, and um, I've done quite a few uh, features on the radio show looking at. Um, not only electric vehicles, but the associated infrastructure and charging. And, um, you know, we've looked at... And so much of it has been initiated either from an individual level or or associations or things like the, you know, Tesla Owner Club, who was um, instrumental in the Round Australia project that they've been part of. Um, Some governments are stepping up and doing some things. In Queensland, there's been quite a bit of work on um, charging infrastructure. That's right. Um, so, that, so those things are all great, and I think you know what most people who maybe aren't as involved in this space don't realise is we will actually see the landscape in, in you know not too many years look drastically different. But Australia is certainly lagging well behind Europe and America and, and Japan and places like that. Yeah, definitely, and um, probably a couple of things on it. So, so in terms of charging, one of our major sponsors, well, our two major sponsors are Bank Australia and Evolution. Now, Evolution are a um, electric vehicle charging uh, infrastructure mob and, um, and very good at what they do. So there will be people there if you've got questions about charging and oh, I'm building a house, what do I do about solar and electric vehicles, you know, what do I need? Mm. There will be, be people there you'll be able to talk to you about that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, Australia's support for electric vehicles, I mean, the, the recent findings from the Senate Select Committee have been pretty clear that we are lagging and, and it does need... Um, some sort of government coordination and intervention, and that's that's pretty much well recognised. Mm. It's not a um, it's not rocket science in a sense. That's something can go like a rocket. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. Um, so, listeners, if you want to get more information, if you go to evexpo.org.au is the website. Um, and as we mentioned, it is Saturday, the 16th of March. And it is the Melbourne International Karting Complex, which is the corner of Todd Road and Cook Street in Port Melbourne. Now, you're also, um, what's the best way for people to get tickets? Well, the probably the easiest way is just to go to the website, evexpo.org.au, and there's a big orange buy tickets button. Um, kids are free, um, and I there's some elderly age details and that are on there. There's also a free shuttle service from Southern Cross Station. 
Um, so if you're you know, running on public transport and you want to get in there, that's probably the easiest way to do that. And, and there's also free charging. Um, if you're bringing an electric vehicle, there's free charging on site. Okay, great. That. Now, I know last year, which is the best way for people to approach? Um, I know that was something last year I kind of nearly got scooted up on an on-ramp to get back on the motorway before I <laughs> kind of saw where, where to, I think I ended up going in the back entrance to, to get in the question. venue. So which is the best way for people if they are coming in their own vehicle to get into the parking? Yeah, look, if you come in from the, uh, the eastern side, which is the, um, I think it's at the Cook Road side, I might have to just get up a Google map and um, get that. Um, the, uh, the, the main entrance to the karting facility is on the eastern side, facing the bridge. Um, so if, you, if you're shooting in from that way, you won't have any, any problems. And there's going to be signage. We do, did recognise that last year, um, being our first year at the event, we hadn't quite gotten some of our external signage right. So you just look for the signage and you'll get some clear directions on where to go for your parking. Fantastic. Okay, so... so use your public transport if you can. Yep, so public <laughs> yeah. transport and a free shuttle from Southern Cross from Station. Southern Cross Station, And yeah. how and do people recognise that? Is that a particular... Is it going to be oh, sort of signed? That'll be well labelled, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Okay, so jump on the website, get your tickets there. If you want to take part or, or register for the um, for showing your own vehicle at the expo, that's the place to do that as well. And, um, yeah, looking forward to it, Doug. And um, we might uh, chat again briefly next week and, and uh, highlight some of the other things that are going to be on the program. Absolutely, because we're having um, you know, more things being uh, added all the time. So we, I, I probably should have mentioned it if you've got a moment, but we're going to, we've got vehicles from Hyundai, from uh, Renault and from Nissan. So uh, you know, a range of you know, three or four um, different, maybe five different types of currently available electric vehicles you can walk into a showroom and buy right now. Yeah, excellent. Um, and and we're, we're still chasing some of the other laggards <laughs> to get them in as well. So hopefully next week we'll have more we can tell you. Yeah, okay, fantastic. Because I know that last year um, Renault was displaying, um, yeah. I'm not sure if they had the Zoe there, but they had the little cargo van. Yeah, um, the Zoe was the main one that people were getting to drive around yep. the track. Yeah, okay. And they were flat out. There was so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talking of that... Do people need, are they best to pre-register or is that all happening on the day for the test drives that's, and test that's drives? It's all part of the registration process. So if you okay. go on and book your tickets, you get to book your test drives then. So last year we had systems with wristbands and things like that and it was, uh, we were way overloaded with the amount of people who wanted to, to do the test drives. Mm. Um, this, so we've expanded that up and you, you pre-book your test drives and you can pick the vehicles that you want to have a go at. Okay. Um, wonderful. Yeah. All right, well, look, um, I'll be along there and I'll be looking forward to seeing it and I'll, I'll have a look on that registration for some test drives. Yeah. Okay. Good All right, good thanks, Doug. Great to chat with you. And, again, that's evexpo, all one word, dot org, dot au. And um, we'll look forward to seeing everyone there. Great. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Doug. Bye-bye. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and change-makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter.
Have you heard about the Melbourne International Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, trucks and more. The event is being held at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne on Saturday, March 16th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focus seminars and tech talks. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au or find us on Facebook. The Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo is a 3CR supporter. Listeners, I'm really pleased um, to have our next guest on the line, and that's Bryn O'Brien. And Bryn is the Executive Director for the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility. Welcome, Bryn. Thanks for having me. Now, we chatted with you a little while ago, um, but I think it's probably important that we recap. And we've, we've done a bit of focus in the past around, um, obviously, this whole show and Beyond Zero Emissions is all about solutions and acting on climate. But one of the things that I think has really come to the forefront in the last few years, and it's one of the, the really strategic, um, effective positions that can be taken, is divestment and following on from that, then investment in positive um, projects and assets that actually work towards a renewable future. So organisations like your own are really at the forefront of that. So can you give our listeners a bit of an idea of the work that you do? Yeah, uh, so we are activist shareholders, which means that we're not, um, we're, we're not divestment activists um, and we're also not impact investment activists. We, we work in what I like to call the, the broken middle of trying to get, using the tools available to shareholders in companies to try to improve company performance on environmental and, and on climate issues. So that means that we hold shares in large listed companies um, and we hold those shares strategically. So we hold shares often in, in heavy emitting companies that wouldn't otherwise fall in, um, in, into the portfolio of an ethical investor. So we hold small parcels and then we recruit other people with holdings in those organisations um, to put progressive climate proposals to them to influence their behaviour. Um, so basically also... you're using shareholders to use those systems that are already in place in terms of, um, you know, uh, asking for more more accountability from those those companies within the, the, the framework that exists around their governance. Absolutely. So, for example, with fossil fuels companies, we say, well, look, if you've, if you've read the IPCC 1.5 report, um, if you agree that the Paris Agreement is important, well, fossil fuels companies, companies that sell fossil fuels to be burned, um, can't exist in, in the same way that they do now in 2050. So we use the tools of corporations law and the rights of shareholders to say to those companies, well, tell us what company you're going to be in 2050. And if you can't tell us, then maybe we should reconsider our investment decisions. Great. Okay. And um, so... You've currently got some projects on, on um, focusing on a couple of uh, companies that work within the gas space, amongst other things. Um, do you want to tell us about what your current projects are? Sure. Um, so we are in active engagements with Woodside and Santos, two large Australian oil and gas companies, and we're asking them exactly that question. What company are you going to be at 2050? Um, so 
we, the way that we ask that question is through what's called a, a shareholder resolution. So that is a formal proposal of 100 shareholders in a single company coming together and saying, we um, shareholders would like you, board, to disclose for the company a strategy that's going to bring you into line with the Paris Agreement. And the components of the strategy that we're suggesting that each company in this space disclose are, uh, one, um, short, medium and long-term emissions reductions targets. Um, uh, secondly, um, how your, your CapEx is going to align with that strategy. And thirdly, how your remuneration structure is going to align. So it may shock some of your listeners to learn um, that currently, uh, you know, 90% of oil and gas companies uh, still reward expansion of reserves. Right, mm. so we're in a you know a climate emergency, but the the key driver of of performance for um, staff and executives within companies is still um, broadening you know, finding that resource. As, exactly, finding as many hydrocarbons as you can, getting them out of the ground, and then selling them to be burned, which is absolutely perverse. So we're trying to tie those things together, but really quite um, simple demands that amount to you know let's engage in a conversation about what you're going to look like at 2050. Um, uh, because we need to have that conversation now. In business terms, that's not very far away. Mm. Yeah. And I, I know that in the past, um, and we maybe can talk about some of the past successes that you have had, but a, a key thing is looking at some of these um, advocacy and lobbying groups that a lot of these big companies support. And, you know, we've seen a, a divergence from some of the bigger companies away from things like the position that, say, the Minerals Council is taking. Um, so can you just explain to our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, so, of course, the, we're actually putting two resolutions to, to, each, to each of these companies. And one is, of course, about this strategy aligned with the Paris Agreement. And the other is about the relationships they have with, with trade associations or lobby groups that um, do things and that t take advocacy positions that undermine um, the Paris Agreement being implemented in national policy in Australia. So, um, as, as you say, we, we've been doing this program of work on, on lobbying, anti-Paris lobbying, um, over the last two years. We started with BHP, then went to Rio Tinto, then um, Origin last year we went back to with a similar, similar resolution. Um, the BHP and Rio ones were focused on the Minerals Council of Australia. The Origin, Santos and Woodside um, resolutions are focused on the combined influence of, of APIA, the Australian Petroleum Lobby and the Business Council of Australia. The Origin resolution got 46% of the vote um, against the board in, in, um, in the AGM in the last quarter of last year. So, you know, Big there numbers. has been a... Yeah, a significant, sort of a record um, worldwide, we think, for a, for an activist NGO-sponsored uh, resolution rather than investor-led resolution. Um, so we are, you know, hopeful of, of building on, on that result. Uh, the fact of the matter is that um, both of these companies, Santos and Woodside, have a relationship with APIA, which is an industry association that has for years undermined Australia's policy response to climate change. I mean, they were out celebrating the, the demise of the carbon tax, the, you know, the, the most, the only effective emissions reduction policy that we've ever had in this country. So um, we think that where you've got big institutional investment capital in companies like Santos and Woodside, and those institutional investors think that the fulfilment of the Paris Agreement's goals is important, then on the other side, you've got 
um, shareholder capital from these companies going into the pockets of lobbyists that undermine the Paris Agreement, there's a real inconsistency there and it's certainly right for shareholder action. Mm. And certainly I know in, in um, some of those other examples that you gave, uh, you know, you actually had some fairly powerful partners with some of this work as well, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So the Rio Tinto resolution, for example, um, uh, we co-filed with a, with a group of uh, institutional investors from around the world. So we had a Swedish fund, AP7. Um, we had the Church of England uh, co-file with us and also a local fund in Australia, local government, super. Um, we are hopeful that um, this coming week uh, we, we, we may see um, some institutional co-filers as well. So um, keep an eye out for that. Okay, great. Now, so for our listeners that are maybe hearing this information for the first time and, and either hold um, stocks and shares or, or are happy to do that for this purpose, because I know a lot of our listeners would not be investing in these companies that we're talking about for the pure fact that, you know, as we mentioned before, around ethical investing, but um, this is this has a for a specific purpose. Um, so talk through how that works on a functionality level if say someone's hearing this and thinking that's something that I want to be part of I think that these companies whichever mechanisms we can use to hold them to account I want to be part of that how can they engage with you? Yeah that's a great question so we are actively recruiting shareholders um, in both Woodside and Santos and the deadline for signing up is uh, is upon us so it's tomorrow or Wednesday at the absolute out, out, out point. Um, so if you have listeners that um, already hold shares in these companies, then um, they can go to our website, which is accr.org.au, um, and they can sign up. You know, they give us basic details about their, their, themselves and, and then they, um, they appoint us um, as um as an agent to go ahead and, and file a resolution with 99 other shareholders on their behalf. Now, um, it's not too late, even for people who don't have shareholdings, but, for example, this evening or tomorrow morning would like to buy them. Um, if they have an online banking account, then um, most likely it will have um, an affiliated broker. Um, you, you go to your online banking account, account register for a trading account, um, then transfer some money from your regular banking account into your trading account and make a trade um, on these these companies. So the minimum parcel that you can buy on the market is $500. So you need to be prepared to, to part with um, $500 if one company or, or $1,000 if both of them um, for, you know, until at least after the AGM. But really, you know, this is a, it's a, a powerful set of rights and certainly, um, Small activist shareholding for the purpose of engagement or the purpose of filing resolutions is absolutely compatible with the with the divestment. Um, we have um, various different, um, I guess, divested funds and, and divestment activists that are part of our community that um, are, are, are materially divested but hold these um, these have these shareholding strategically exactly. Yep. And, and people can um, then choose to exit out of those once the purpose has been served. What, what sort of time frame are we looking at if someone was listening to that and wanted to do that? Yeah, so the AGMs for both companies are on the 2nd of May. Um, so that, that is the, the minimum time frame um, between now and the 2nd of May is the minimum time frame that somebody could hold for this purpose. Okay, and, and for, for your mechanisms, do you need 100 
different shareholders to to be able to put that together. That's right, and it's and it's an interesting kind of quirk of the law that um, one individual has as much power as a large institution. Mm. So this is um, so you know if you've got a big super fund, that's one individual. If you've got um, somebody with a five hundred dollar shareholding, that's one individual. So really, the, the power is mm. quite enormous that that individuals can have through using this particular set of rights. Yeah, I, I don't think many people would. would comprehend that really because that's kind of seems counterintuitive to power in most situations doesn't it yeah and look it's um ultimately you know you know you need to get a vote so so for the purpose of of filing then the rights are the same but of course if you hold more shares in a company then you have more votes at the agm but yeah mm. the, at, a, at a basic level the rights afforded to an individual shareholder or an institutional shareholder are the same set of rights so in terms of you know Thank you, Buck. Um, it's a really powerful way to, to be a climate activist. Mm. Okay, so listeners, if you're out there listening and this is something that is taking your interest and in, in another way that you can, can flex your climate muscle, um, the companies that we're looking at at the moment are Santos and Woodside. Uh, and the website, and as Bryn was mentioning, most of the, the, the larger banks will have some sort of platform, and, and these days it's... Um, you know, there's not a lot of cost involved in um, the brokerage for these type of things. You know, you're probably looking around the $20 mark for most institutions to, to do the actual purchase procedure. Um, so if that's something that's of interest to you, you can go to the Australian Centre for Corporate Responsibility website, which is accr.org.au, um, and I'm sure there'll, you know, there's information on there that can um, step you through and... Uh, shareholder activism and, and how to register uh, and, and basically people can register and put on there what their holdings are so in the future if you have another campaign which focuses on another company you already have a register of what um, what holdings people may have and you can approach them is that how how the register works from your perspective yeah that's right and look every time we file another resolution we go out to all the people who have nominated um, a company. So say if there was a resolution to a mining company later this year, um, we'd go out to all of the people in our database that have nominated that company and, and you know, tell them what the resolution is about and give them the opportunity to opt out of it. Um, so, you know, it's a, a membership style database. You can go on and you can change your holdings. You can, um, you can um, exit the database at any time. Mm, okay. Well, I know that you've you've been really successful in the past, and like I said, you know, we we did a show on that, which people can go back and listen to the podcast of. Um, but you know, there was quite big numbers, and more and more of these bigger players are actually getting on board. Um, and I think it was, I can't remember at the time, you'll probably remember the figures better, but it ended up being quite a quite a big holding with those different European um, organisations that got behind this, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think with about $85 billion of assets under management ended up mm. joining in last time. And, you know, as I said, um, we're, you know, we, we may be in a position to make some announcements later in the week. Um, but I, I should also uh, mention while we're talking about Europe that the shareholder resolutions that we're putting up here to Santos and Woodside are modelled on um, uh, commitments that have been made and shareholder resolutions that are going up to European companies over the last couple of months. So, for example... Um, in uh, December last year, Shell, the big oil company Shell um, made a commitment to um, 
uh, set targets and to um, disclose things about its strategy, and its capex, and its, and its remuneration structure. Um, and there is a resolution going um, to the BHP, sorry, the BP, the other large European oil company, the BP AGM in uh, May. And, and our resolution is very closely modelled on the resolution that is going up to BP. And in that case, because there was a powerful investor coalition um, negotiating it, in that case, um, that is going up with board support. So. Right. We imagine that there will be a number of Australian institutions um, that uh, that actually support that resolution, and so we'll be we'll be saying to them, well, if you're supporting it at BP um, and you're you know uh, pursuing this progress with European companies, well, you should absolutely be supporting these resolutions in your own backyard. Mm. And really, I mean, the things that you're asking them to do, and this is something that I think is. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a great deal of focus, but it's so important. Is the fact is, so many people in this country with compulsory super mm. have their money in companies that, you know, have not seriously looked at the responsibility they have to their shareholders, given the business model that they've got, which cannot continue to be viable. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're an oil and gas company in Australia right now. Um, you know, there is no way for you to, to say, well, at 2050, our business model is going to be absolutely the same. I mean, that is at the cost of a habitable planet. Mm. So we are seeking to bring that conversation on um, quite quickly, especially among Australian investors who have a responsibility to um, either ensure that these companies are going to exist at 2050 and that they're not going to just to destroy the world, or to get out of those companies. That's the choice facing investors. Mm. And, I'm, you know, there'd be a lot of maybe not-so-well-informed investors or people that are invested in um, mixed sort of managed funds um, that, you know, some of these assets, and we've talked in the past about, thing, you know, the concept of stranded assets, um, you know, what you actually think this company's worth is based on a whole lot of resources that they potentially should not be accessing. That's right. And look, we've seen um, climate reports or we've seen um, disclosures by both of these companies um, in recent times where they sort of say, um, you know, that they're really arguing uh, for a transition from one hydrocarbon to another. Mm. So they're arguing for gas to displace coal, which is absolutely not consistent over a, you know, a 2050 Paris horizon. I mean, that we should not be putting and shareholders' money should not go into CapEx on, um, on projects that bake in hydrocarbons to our energy mix for 2050 and beyond. We, we need to be looking at a transition from, from coal to clean. Um, and, of course, gas has a role to play in that transition, but that is as primarily a support to renewables coming online. Um, it, is not at, it is not to displace Oh. No, no, that's right. So, well, we'll, we'll just change tact a little bit. So, um, but just to recap, if this is something that you want to engage in, jump on the the website accr.org.au. That deadline is coming very quick to get those um, those shareholders together. So, if you're either holding shares in Santos or Woodside, or you would like to, um, you know, for the purposes of this action, hold those that shareholding, then jump on the website, have a look at it for yourself, 
um, go and do whatever you need to do to, to make that happen. But we'll just change speed a little bit. Um, Glencore, uh, you know, made some pretty big statements towards the end of last week, and on the face of it, there's some, you know, there's some positivity, but uh, you know, there's also it, it's it's a bit of self-serving for for Glencore, and there's been some mixed response from well, both the government and other other miners. So, what's your take on all that? Look. Um Australia's largest producer of thermal coal, and in fact I think the world's largest producer of thermal coal, um, saying that they're going to put a cap on production, I think says something quite significant, um, which is that coal is in terminal decline. Mm. Um, so we know that, but even the, the, those who are making the most money from, from um, thermal coal are now saying it too. So I, I really do think that that is significant, and I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the work that was done by um, you know the investors and, and NGOs to behind the scenes to get that commitment from Glencore um, is quite significant. But of, of course, as you say, you know that the, this makes a lot of financial sense for Glencore as well. Mm. Um, so, look, I think um, I think in, in terms of of Australia and Australian politics and Australian policy for you know um, our government and the Resources Minister Matt Canavan to mm. be sort of to the right of of Glencore is quite extraordinary mm. um, and certainly we should um, we should look at what you know what the economics are saying what even those who are profiting from coal are saying that that this is a resource in terminal decline and you know we as country we as an economy you know a, apart from all of the the, the climate um, reasons for why we should exit coal that this is these are not you know the, the rivers of gold that they have been for this country so we need to look at a, a full economic transition and of course on you know it needs to happen quickly yeah now um some of the commentary that i read around that was um the climate action 100 group was mentioned a fair bit um can you give our listeners or are you, are you familiar with um sort of their work and and what that what's going on yeah, so Climate Action 100 is a um, global coalition of um, institutional investors. I think somewhere in the range of um, $30 trillion of assets under management, I think. Um, who, really significant. Yes. Yeah, really who significant. have um, committed to uh, escalating their engagement with companies um, and it's driven in a kind of jurisdictional way. So we are seeing... Um, a lot of leadership in, in Europe. So European investors have been responsible for the commitments from, so the commitment from BP and Shell that I mentioned earlier, that's part of the same Climate Action 100 program. Mm. So there was Shell, there was BP, there was MESC, the big Danish shipping um, mm. uh, company, and now Glencore. Um, and we, we should expect um, more announcements to come over the coming weeks and months about commitments that are being made by European companies, that is progressing very quickly. Um, there is um, some progress in the United States as well. Look, we are yet to see the Australian Climate Action 100 uh, investors really flex their muscle, um, uh, and we won't see it in this AGM season, uh, I don't think, um, in, a, in at least a, you know, a very um, a way that where the Climate Action 100 brand, um, if you will, is, is out in front. I, I don't think that we will see that this AGM season, um, but I hope that we do start to see that um, in, in the second half and of, of the year and, and beyond that. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, that, that 
the Australian um, Fair 100 investors will be playing a bit of catch-up with their European and American counterparts. Yeah, great. Look, I mean, one of the other things we're talking about on today's show is the Melbourne EV show, which is on on Saturday the 16th of March. And um, whilst we're certainly lagging behind the um, Europe and the United States and Japan and China in terms of EV uptake, um, it's like lots of these things. They kind of go along and then the growth is exponential. So, you know, it seems very hard for a lot of people to even comprehend it. But the fact is the, the fuel mix in this country, and I know I'm talking about transport predominantly now, that is going to change a lot quicker than a lot of people realise. And, um, you know, a lot of these companies, and as we're talking about the Shells and the BPs and things like this, in Europe, they must be seeing that writing on the wall with the uptake that's going on there. Yeah, look, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and um, I, I think it needs to happen quicker. One mm. of the things that needs to, to, stop, to stop is um, lobbying to delay transition. I think if we mm. could... If we could end that um, insidious and destructive influence of the fossil fuels lobby on our national politics, then we would make some big gains very quickly, and certainly that will continue to be a focus of our work. Um, but um, you, you know, you are right, and, and I think you know the, the upshot for Australian companies and Australian investors is well, capital is global, so um, Australian companies would do well to keep pace with these developments in, in Europe, and Australian investors would do well to push. Um, Australian companies just as hard as European companies are being pushed on these issues. As to whether, you know, the commitments that um, have been made by, by BP and Shell, for example, and the commitments that we're seeking from Woodside and Santos, as to whether they're, they're strong enough, absolutely not. They're, they're, you know, they're a starting point. Um, I think that the issue that we really need to grapple with and that the investment sector uh, and their representatives need to grapple with is the issue of scope three, is the issue of <laughs> selling products to be burned products that are that are responsible for, for this mess we're in. So um, the scope three question, scope three under the Paris Agreement, the issue around products sold, um, is really fundamental. Mm. It's something that Australian companies and Australian investors have not yet sufficiently grappled with. Um, but we need to get there. We need to get there very quickly. But it, and and I should say, it's not just Australian investors that haven't grappled with it. Um, globally, we have not. Seen nearly a strong enough push on go three. Mm, yeah, and I mean, um, you know, we're starting to see so many, you know, big multinationals IKEA and comes to mind, for example. They're actually, you know, making strong commitments themselves, but then also saying, right, supply chain, tell us what you're doing and how you're doing and how you're doing it better. Um, and that I think will also drive a lot of a lot of change when so many of those companies have kind of stepped up a lot more than certainly the Australian government um, around some of these issues. Absolutely. And look, we've got a problem in Australia with um, ideologically driven opposition to climate change policy and, and vested interests. Now, um, companies and um, and investors actually have a, a lot a lot more rules around them than um, politicians do mm. in terms of what they can and can't say and how they treat information, scientific information, and how they disclose it. And so, you know, one of the reasons that we're seeing uh, far more progressive action from, from companies than, um, uh, and investors than, than from government, at least in Australia, is that um, they are rule-bound to be more rational <laughs> than politicians. They, they are not allowed to, under the Corporations Act, 
um, make uh, and under the ASX listing rules to, to make um, decisions based on ideology. They, they must be informed by the science and the economics. And so um, if only the Australian government was informed by science and economics, <laughs> we, we would be in a much, much better yeah. position. Exactly. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today, Bryn. Thank you so much. And um, again, listeners, um, if, if what we've talked about is something that you want to get involved in, jump on the website accr.org.au and predominantly at the moment looking for Santos and Woodside Holdings to further that action. So um, appreciate your time, Bryn, and we'll look forward to hearing how these developments go. Thanks, Erin. It was an absolute pleasure. Bye-bye. So we're coming pretty close to the top of the hour. Um, I hope you've enjoyed today's show, um, talking about a few different things. Uh, new government policy, uh, EV expos here in Melbourne, and then also some shareholder activism. So again, just to recap our conversation there with Bryn, uh, Santos and Woodside shareholders, or people that are happy to take a shareholding in those companies, for the purposes of getting items on the agenda at the annual general meeting. That deadline is really within the next 24 hours or so. So if that's something that you want to do, you need to really get moving on it and um, jump on the website accr.org.au to follow through um, with that. And I'm sure if you've got an issue, you can contact them and um, they can step you through what they need. It's been great to be back on the radio. Um, this has been my first show of 2019. As you know, um, we sort of have a bit of a musical cheers between Vivian, myself and Kurt, and we've got some other new people on the team this year as well. Um, so it's been great. But I'd really love some feedback from listeners uh, what is it that you're wanting to hear? What type of topics? If there's any guests that you think would be really important for us to get on or just um, some general feedback, the easiest way to give me that feedback is probably via Twitter. So I am at EJ4573 um, and I'd really appreciate some feedback and knowing what you guys want to, um, us to talk about and to follow up on and if there's any guests that you'd really like to to hear about in the space of climate solutions, whether it be transport, uh, energy, policy, a whole lot of um, topics that we like to tackle on this show. So that would be great. Um, remember to get on to the EV Expo website. Um, that is a ticketed event and uh, as Doug was mentioning, it's really important that you get on, book your tickets, book the um, test drives and test rides that you'd like to do. I know they've got a lot of exhibitors this year. That was a really huge part of the show last year, and they're trying to manage it through a pre-booking system this year. So really important that you do that. We'll do a little bit more on that next week, and I'm hoping to bring you a really exciting guest, um, someone that I'm sure a lot of our EV um uh, followers um, tune into and that's Robert Llewellyn from the Fully Charged Show so um, fingers crossed that'll all work, we're trying to tee things up at the moment with Robert um, and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with him about all things EV and Fully Charged and the work that he's been doing so that'll be wonderful so I think we might um, go out with a little bit of music and um, 
And as I said, love your feedback around the show and um, what are the things we can do. So if you want to send me a tweet, it's at EJ457 on Twitter. Okay, here's some music from the specials. A message to you, Rudy. Thank you. 